Hello everyone. Today we have with us the one and only father of SEO, Bruce Clay. Bruce is the founder and president of the global digital marketing agency, Bruce Clay INC, founder of seotraining.com, the author of Search Engine Optimization All-in-One for Dummies, series of other books, a speaker and an influencer. Bruce, you need no introduction. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Same here. Same here. Really excited to have you and we'll try to get as many knowledge bombs from you as possible in the short time we have. No problem. I've got them. <laughs> Russ, you have had an amazing journey. You created an entire industry that has been booming ever since. How does it feel? Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came to be involved in the world of search engine optimization. That was an interesting thing. Prior to this, I was general manager of the networking division of Acer, decided I wanted to consult. I was looking for something in, this was January of 1996. And for those of you who are trying to remember that far back, we had these things called modems. Yep. So it was not like today. And we started building uh, websites because it looked like it was the place to be. And in January 96, uh, I decided I was going to consult. Became a consultant. I had this vision as a consultant. I would just name the company Bruce Clay and I would consult. Yep. And, and it took on a life of its own. Yep. Yep. And, it, and I was fortunate. My background is programming. I have an MBA, but my background was not focused on sales and marketing. It was programming. And so I was able to write some code and be able to slice and dice web pages. And you don't have your keyword here. You don't have it there, put it here, there. And all of a sudden people ranked and then they start giving me money. It's of course a good thing as a consultant. Yep. And then it took on a life of its own. Yep. Had yep. to hire people, had to move out of the house, had to have offices. I started speaking at conferences when Danny Sullivan started opening. That was yeah. back at search engine strategies at the time. Yep. yep. One of the earliest conferences. It was, it was. And I remember the very first conference we went to all, he brought in all of the experts. There were eight of us. That's all the work. <laughs> there were eight of us and we were sitting at one round table in the bar. We all got there. We'd met the yeah. night before. Okay. Had there been an earthquake in San Francisco, we would have wiped out the industry. <laughs> All of the people who were publishing and writing and teaching and talking and really advocates right. were there. We were all there. And the first conference, 219 people showed up, right. which was back then. That was pretty good. A good number. Yeah. Pretty good number. Yeah. yeah. Then Google showed up in September 98 and all hell broke loose. And all of a sudden, everybody was interested in SEO, had to hire a bunch of people. By then, 
the few of us that were in the industry were pretty well published blog posts and articles and newsletters were starting to show up and we were advocating SEO. And that's how I got the label father of SEO because I was all over advocating. You've got to do SEO. It's a marketing thing. And, and it really did take off. Now it's what billions and billions of dollars yeah. in revenue. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of people around the world. And, and the interesting part is most of us, many of the early people were business people. Yeah. And their companies got bought and they went on to other careers. I have been in this for 27 years, almost 28. And this is fun. I don't know how, I can't imagine a career that it would be a lot different. I'd like you to think about this at two different levels. Maybe I'm really drawing outside of the original question about. No, no, it's interesting. No, it's interesting. Please go on. Right. In the beginning, you could sell SEO to anybody because it yeah. was early adopted, right? Yep. And after a while, it became more business sensitive. And I was writing a lot. I had the philosophy that you answer questions until they surrender. Yeah. And that's how you got business. Right. You could prove that you were the expert. Right. In the early days, that was actually quite simple to do, but that was the approach. And I stuck to the industry. I kept promoting. I've got three books. I've spoken at well over 300 conference sessions. I do have offices around the world. Usually I pick the spot where I wanted to go for vacation. That's right. That's where I haven't been to Australia. Let's open an office in Sydney. And they're all separate companies because yep. the world is at a different technological point. In some parts of the world, they're desperate for web design yep. because there aren't a lot of websites. Whereas in the US, web design is, it's a commercial product. It, you can go anywhere and get it. So every office is like a separate business entity. It would have its own presidents, like its own PNL, everything separate than the other offices. And in part that was because I set them up deliberately as a licensee instead of a franchise. Okay. And I set them up not as a branch. And mostly that had to do with it being early stage development. Uh -huh. And in the United States, if I have a branch, I have to show their loss and winnings and everything else on my U.S. Yes. and P&L and everything else. Right. Whereas if they're separate companies in their entirety and I just get a, like a royalty, I right. get the licenses, it was so much easier. Right. And I could just go. So that's the way I did it. There are countries that I don't have an office in, but I'm open to it. We're in Europe, we're in Australia, we're in uh, Singapore, we're in Japan, India. So we're around. The thing, I'll tell you what I think 
and this is an important concept, uh-huh. has to do with pricing and services. Right. So we have positioned ourselves to be more expert than the average site. Right. We hire even people or people that are really intelligent and we can train, but we focus on being a little bit more expert than the average person. And the problem you face in the industry in general is that the consumer doesn't understand that. Yep. If I went and bought a mouse, it's the same mouse. Yep. I can buy it anywhere. It's the same device. Pricing of the same product makes sense. Yes. And then you can get into, I can get it cheaper here or over here. It comes in a gold box or you can differentiate it, but mouth. Yep. Whereas an SEO, it's never the same mouse. Yep. Every company doing SEO does something differently. Different. And so there is no real inherent ability to compare prices. Yes. It isn't like it's the same product. You can compare prices. They're all different products. Yep. And if you want an expert, you're going to pay for an expert. Absolutely. But, but you can't do price comparison. No. Because no two companies have the same degree of expert. No, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I think what I have, because we work with agencies and as a strategic partners have seen you know, their clients like across the board, different types of and sizes of clients. I think what like I also have observed like these clients or these businesses that start comparing prices and don't actually try to understand the strategy, the expertise, they end up always changing agencies. And if you see their graphs and if you see the overall performance of their campaigns, it never picks up because they're always comparing prices and productizing it rather than trying to ask the right questions to an agency, try to understand how they are different, if this is a good fit or not. So I I think it is a problem that is still there in the industry. But I think if as an agency, you're able to explain that and solve that, you end up having a long-term good fit client, which is like a good fit for both sides. And Again, I'm not sure how all industries work, but if I'm in an industry where it's a commodity, I have a tendency to think of everything as a commodity. And if I'm in a highly creative industry, I think of everything as being unique and I have to hire the best, right? So it depends on who you're talking to and where the client is as to how they have this alignment of the way they do business with the way they expect you to do business. And sometimes that overwhelms you as well. The highly creative industries have a tendency to hire experts and they people who are commodities just pumping out a thousand of the same thing every minute. They look at everything as a product. Everything is a product. If you talk to Walmart, everything's a commodity, right? Talk to a high-end architecture firm, 
And it's all about art and creativity and thinking out of the box. And right. It's an entirely different level. Um, right. Very seldom do you find that the larger companies, and I'm talking very large, yeah. the larger companies, if they get to a certain size where they can bring in a marketing team that is creative, they're the ones that go crazy and, and are wonderful yeah. because they've got the money and they're they have okay the audience done. Yeah. Some of the larger public companies in the world, their marketing teams at the echelons are really amazing to do business with. And they're willing to, okay, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's try this. And they can succeed in that environment. Whereas a great many commodity businesses that are fighting for pennies, if you will, they have problems. They have problems and they, they hire based on their perception of it as a commodity. Right. Right. Our U.S. office is a little bit different from everywhere else because the U.S. is such a mature market. Yeah. But my average SEO. None of my SEOs have less than 10 years of experience. I average 16. Right. 16 years of experience. And the clients we get are clients that demand an answer to the toughest problem in the world. Right. Right. They, these are big companies that any serious impact to web traffic is a million dollars. Right. They, they can't hire somebody that doesn't have a brain trust, right? Absolutely. And that's who I cater to in the U.S. And, that, and to go back to your original question, that's how we evolved. At the beginning, nobody had any knowledge. We had to all dig in, get our hands dirty, experiment, try. Do you believe Google or do you not believe Google? <laughs> yeah. And I have a whole lot on that for you too. But the fact is that we learned SEO from the bottom up doing. It yep. was a lab. And I'll admit the fun of SEO is in part because of that. Yes. That's, and I don't mean to ramble, but I just love telling these stories. What I actually get to do every day is think of it this way. It's like a large computer simulation. It's a game. The only difference is when I make a change in that game, I can actually kill off a real company. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it isn't like it's pretend. Because the only way to do SEO is in is the life. Tested. Yes, absolutely. In fact, I think if you have to run a successful SEO agency, you always have to have, you know, tests going on. You always have to have that lab going on. The moment you stop doing it, you're just one among the many. You will not see that growth. I think that is very important. And I think a good agency is that continue to do those tests day in, day out. They're still continuing to flourish.
But you're absolutely right. If you're, you can only do something once you're doing it in the live environment and that change can make or break the business. Yeah. Google says they change things about 12, 5,000 times, 12 times a day kind of thing. And I think half of them are probably fixing the things that broke yesterday. So let's say they do eight times a day, they change things. It's constant improvement. It's, hi, this should work. It made it through our Raiders. The Raiders thought it would work. We put it live. Now we got to tweak it and we got to, okay, back off on this and turn up on that. Oh, now it's cooking. And absolutely, a hundred teams doing that every day. Absolutely. It, it's really um, a moving target. One of my sayings is that SEO is done when Google stops changing things and all your competitors are dead. Also, like you said, yeah, like you also have said, like every Monday SEO is a brand new industry. Absolutely correct. It's so important to keep on learning, testing so that you're ahead of the curve. Absolutely correct. I publish lots of blog posts. Some are at a uh, business level and some are at a technical level. If my blog is got lots of followers, the, I do webinars, I do all sorts of things, right? I have my own tools. I have my, my own training. Training became virtual because of the COVID problem. COVID, We're yeah. Not, I used to teach a class. I'd have 30 people pay me three grand each. So seotraining.com started in COVID, the training platform? I owned it for a long time, but I built it because of COVID. I already had a very successful training program, but it was a classroom course. So what I did is I videotaped a studio, videotaped the entire thing, 15 hours. If you take out all the jokes and the lunch and the breaks, in the Q and A, if you extract that out of the course, it was 16 hours of concentrated information. And it, yeah, it was time to build it up because COVID, right? So I built yeah. up SEO training. I bundled in our SEO tools. By the way, I bought seotools.com directly from GoDaddy in 2000. <laughs> that was before anybody, you yeah. know, wonderful. Named of own, right? Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. And I just went to GoDaddy and bought it. And it was amazing. But I have tools, I have training, I have uh, consulting services. We balance it out. I publish a lot, which is internationally supportive, obviously. The brand is very strong. It turns out that my very first interest in an international office all of the offices came to me. Right. Somebody met me at a conference and said, have you thought about, I said, no, but let's talk. And they opened an office, did wonderfully. And then other people said, oh, look, they opened an office. I can try that. And then I ended up actually around the world. You're definitely turned out so well for you. And like, it's definitely a story worth telling and inspiring. How was Bruce as a kid? Uh, 
I was an introvert, math, I loved math and hated everything else. I read right. books. I was into science fiction though. Being, being, an, being an introvert, like when was your like first, because you have spoken at so many conferences, but if you like go back in time, like when was the first time like you were on stage? Like, and ha ha, do you remember that time? Do you remember that experience? Well, Would you like to share? Yes and no. <laughs> I actually, when I got out of college, I worked in a bank as a program. So I was doing, but back then that was 4 million years ago <laughs> when they had tape drives, punched cards and mainframes. Okay. So I worked in a bank. And then I went to work for a software house, a premium product. And when I, this was back in 1974, which was forever ago, I'm easy, right? <laughs> it was back in 74 and they were selling it for $60,000 then, which is a lot of money in today's yeah, absolutely. And they needed somebody to be a sales support technician. Right. So I strayed away from programming and became a sales support person. And part of that was I had to give training. And I realized that if I understood what I was talking about well enough, uh -huh. to give the training and answer the questions. So I did that for two and a half years. And by the time I was done, I could present anywhere. But here's my advantage. When I go to a conference, if I'm presenting, I am the first person on the stage and I watch people come in. <laughs> Seriously. Right. I just see them come in and sit down and do their thing. And by the time it's my turn, I, I'm no, I'm not nervous. It wears off the longer you're in front of people. Whereas if you walk in front of people and you weren't able to do that sort of pre warm up, uh, I'd be nervous. Everybody would, but I got to the point where I've given so many presentations and if I know what I'm talking about, no problem. Right. And I think like you're doing what you're passionate about. So I'm sure every time you go on that stage, the passion is the same, irrespective of whether it's the 300th time and have seen a lot of your interviews, talks, like I can see that passion still there. Good. Yeah. I feel it. I feel it. I enjoy it. I think it keeps you young to have something that you're really excited about. Right. And if you get up in the morning and you're saying, I could roll over or I could get up, but if I get up, I get to do this. So you get up. If, if that's the way your day starts, then that's an entirely wonderful experience and you can really enjoy it. Bruce, SEO has seen so many changes like since evolution, since you invented it. From your point of view, what has been the most transformative evolution so far? Artificial intelligence has clearly changed a lot. As, and this is going to get 
not really technical, but philosophical. In the beginning, there was keywords. You put the keywords in the right tag and you rank. Yeah. It was all keyword centric and queries were keyword centric. Yes. So search by keyword, it would look on a web page for the keyword. And if they matched, this site would jump up. That was the way it started. Yes. And before Google, there was InfoSeq and AltaVista and Excite and all these different products. And if you look for a search engine relationship chart, right. I invented it, I wrote it, I published it, everybody downloaded it. It was up on everybody's wall. And there were 23 different search engines feeding each other and borrowing from each other and doing things like that. It was total chaos. Um, but it evolved to the point now where there's only a few search engines of yeah. any significance. And the technology evolved. Google originally for 14 years had 128 variables in the algorithm. Then it was 200, then it was 300. Bing is saying they have 500. That's a lot of different things that have been added over the years. I think that there's two major shifts, and I think that a lot of people don't understand them. And it'd probably be worth our while to just talk about it. The first shift was because of the way the algorithms work. There's systems. Now, the concept of a system isn't a new concept, but if I have 300 variables, there might be 30 systems in there. Yes. There's a system for on-page and a system for off-page and a system for server and a system for this and a system for that. And within a system, and most people don't think this way, you, you can't, unless you can understand that the 300 variables is a group of systems. Yes. And health of any one system has to be there. How do you get to be first among equals? Yep. There, you do a query and you get 10 billion results. Yes. To show up, you have to have a healthy group of systems, not just one. You can't just do links. Yes. You're unhealthy. Yep. Does that make If that is the case, and it is, then our job as SEOs is to understand all of it yes and make each piece the best it can be to make web vitals as good as it could be to make the speed as fast as it could be and to make my on page the best it could be yes and the schemas and yeah, all of the various components are part of systems and that part that most people don't know is within a system they're symbiotic and then if I have three variables, if I get A right, variable A, I get perfect. But B and C are terrible. A doesn't even count. Yes. You have to have all three for any of them to matter. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, so now you've got that. Now, the layers are the caffeine index, which is just data. Fighter sticks numbers in buckets data. 
Then you have Hummingbird, which is the name of the algorithm that sits above the index. And that Hummingbird will attempt to figure out whether you're appropriate, but you also have things like rank grade, yeah. where they'll say this keyword is biased by web search history, or it's biased by intent. Let's just use those as an example. Hammer. We all know what a hammer is. Yes. Except if you do a search in Los Angeles, the number one result is the Arm and Hammer Art Museum at UCLA. Yeah. Two result is MC Hammer. That's number one and number two for Hammer. Okay. Yeah. All of a sudden, all of our ability to just look at a keyword is ripped away from us. Definitely. It's ripped away because now we need to know how did that person search? Did they search for pliers and screwdriver and hammer? Or did they search for art and museum and hammer? Yeah. He searched and you have no control over that. Yeah. So. Suddenly, the, the first issue is that Google, with some artificial intelligence, has been able to figure out intent and purpose. Yes. Now, they're going high into artificial intelligence. And where a lot of people for years have not paid attention, it's time to pay attention. For yes. instance, if you link to me, Google knows if the sentiment is good or bad based upon the relationship to your page. So yes. if your page is being the worst 10 sites in the world and I'm listed, that's negative sentiment. Yeah. The best 10 sites is positive yeah. sentiment. And sentiment now is used to bias the value of every link. Yes. For years, Google has said, and be it right or be it wrong, Google has said they are able to detect good and bad links. Now, I never really thought that was true. I thought that was just Google saying it. And by the way, that system concept is how people at Google answer the question. If you ask a question, they're familiar with this system. This system may not care, yeah. but that other system might. So for instance, it's okay to have 404 errors on your website because this system doesn't care. doesn't care, but that system does. But that system does. Yeah. But talking about their device. Absolutely. are talking about the whole thing. And so you get into, in links, you get into the issue, is it positive sentiment, is it negative sentiment? And you have to figure out, is it organic? Yeah, yeah. Is I it mean, an expert in your field so that it should yes. matter as right. opposed to it's an idiot? They don't do anything about what you do. That Absolutely. Here's my big experiment. So Google said, we're going to catch it all. Unless it's malware which is a legal issue, not a linking issue, unless it is just totally 
a violation of their standards, right? Gross. They catch it and they have figured out how to bias it. And if you want to buy a link, chances are that site is selling to somebody else and that somebody else may have a footprint. So it backtracks to you. They have figured all that out. Here's a big experiment. I have 168,000 inbound links, none of which have ever been built. They just 27 years worth of links, right? Yeah. And I found a lot of things that were total garbage. So I disavowed. Yeah. As we catch them all. We catch them all. You don't need to have a disavow unless it is malware, right? Uh, yeah. You don't need a disavow. I went and took my disavow file off entirely. It's empty on my own BruceClay.com website because I've got hundreds of number one rankings. I'm going to find out if it's true or not. Yeah. Went up. I spoke out the disavow file. Listen to John Muir. I took it out. My rankings went because I had disavowed things maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. They got to try, so they cleaned up their end. And now it's a good site. All right. But it was disavow file. Yeah. So there's a lot to SEO that you have to pay attention to. And the algorithm, going back to my concept, the algorithm is a series of systems. Yes. System has its own rules and it, this one doesn't pay attention to 404s, but this one does, or trust is an interesting thing. None of these systems care if, uh, here in the U S it's called the better business bureau. None of them care about the better business, bureau. but this little guy over here that cares about trust may very well care. Yeah, absolutely. It's as good as let's say like somebody offers a service for that business. It's common sense that it has to be a service page, right? But are you looking at actually what is ranking in the top 10? Are you trying to understand what Google considers as ranking? Maybe Google is looking for informative content. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. There's so much involved that you have to take care of. And that's why I think it's so interesting. And like you said, with AI coming in, it's so much more interesting. For example, keyword research, totally the con concept and the process changing towards more like topical semantic relations and like how will the AI come in and how will you do like all of that stuff. But with all the promising things coming in, the algorithm with AI trying to understand the intent and trying to give like good results, what are the hurdles? that like you foresee or like any like main areas of concern foresee from an SEO uh, standpoint? Okay. So I've spent many hundreds of hours playing with Chatnea and uh, we're developing a product for it. The thing about AI is AI actually is a tool, not a solution. Yeah. You got to start there. If you think you can put in a keyword, tell it to write an article and that article is any good, you're mistaken. Absolutely wrong. Because, and the way AI works, 
is it's logically just averaging the large language model. It, it's like Google looking at a million pages, averaging them and saying, that's number one. It's not. If you look at a million, average is in the middle. You're not going to rank at the top. AI cannot be creative. It can only regurgitate that. It can't create that. It can't do research. It can't experiment and be bleeding edge. And even if there was the ability to see things that are experimental, it can't do it. So where AI comes into SEO is, and we ought to be fair about this, probably in life, 90% of the things that are written are not web pages. Yeah. But most of the things written are actually emails. And where AI is good is I could write an email being as angry at you as I can, but I'll just tell AI, write it in a friend or your voice. <laughs> I'm better now. And it can do that. Or take this out by and tell me, what is, what is the message of the outlet? You can ask it all sorts of questions and get answers. You don't have to generate web pages from it because where the real art is, we're creating a product called pre-writing. It is AI before the writing. Okay. We research right up to the writer, but the writer puts in the voice and the toe and it checks for compliance and legal requirements and it makes sure it doesn't use words you don't want to use and it, it fact checks. The writer is an artist, right? And it actually turns out, and we've done literally a thousand page, thousands of pages with the tool, just in our own internal testing. And it turns out that the tedious part of writing is doing some of that preliminary research. The research, yeah, absolutely. Right? And that if I had the right tool, and we do, and I could give you what you needed at a research level and a draft, and that's the most you ever get out of AI right now is a draft. Just consider yeah. it. It's finished article ever. No. But if I that and ran it through some of the tools that made it human, did as much as I could, that is something the most, that is something you give to your writer and say, now apply the art. Right. Right. And make it something that people would share, make it something that people would read and not bounce off, make it yeah. something worth having. Because if I want to be in the top 10 out of 10 million, average just doesn't cut it. Absolutely. And I think also, how do you connect it to the brand voice? Like how do you, with all of the content coming out through these AI tools, at the end of the day, they all read the same. If, if you're going to write about a topic, it's the same information available for every tool. It's going to use the same database, same internet, and then it's just going to mix it all up and try to, you know, spit out 
the output, which is in whatever form you try. Some people try not to write long form articles through AI. They divide it into subtopics and then put it together. But whatever way you try it, at the end of the day, it's going to sound the same because it's the same information these tools are using. But then if that, like you said, I think that's the problem. The research takes time, but if the research is coming to a human and that human is an artist and he understands the brand voice, he will definitely be able to carve out a piece which stands out and is worthy of a top 10 ranking. And you can find that there are things in range, right? That every day, I don't have any idea why this ranks. Yeah, you're always going to have that. And sometimes you're going to find that AI stuff might fit in. Sometimes just the way they wrote it might work, might be an exact match to the query. That could happen. What we care about is if somebody did this search and they went to your website, what is their opinion of your website? Will they share it? Will they quote it? Will they write it down? Will they make it part of their research? Yeah. Because if it isn't shareable, it's just somebody else's facts written your way. And that's all AI is at present for content. And the biggest impact, going back to your question, the biggest impact for SEO is that people who don't understand SEO will think that's a solution. Yeah. And they'll put in the keyword, they'll get an article, they'll spell check it, and they'll publish it. I've read a lot of articles, a lot of posts on LinkedIn, et cetera, where people have their graph and they show the graph and how it's going up. It's not going up because of the quality of their content. It's going up because they're flooding Google and Google hasn't figured out whether it's good or bad yet. Google takes two weeks to decide if it wants to kill you or not. Yes. And yeah, sure. You can put up an AI curve with your content. And as long as it's fast enough, you can show almost anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's wrong for somebody to not apply art to content. Absolutely. I and think, I think, oh, please go on. I was going to say, I think that ultimately, and we have a team of writers on staff here, right? And in dealing with our team and our product, I had the team provide the critiques and the very first critiques were, you don't have any voice. You don't have a sense of humor. You don't have any compliance. You don't have this. You don't have that. You don't have this. You don't have that. I let them do it. They critiqued it. And then I came back and said, it wasn't supposed to. That's your job. I just right. did the homework. You get to write the article, right? Right, right? And all of a sudden, all the writers changed their attitude about it. Say, originally the writers felt, oh, this is going to take my job, right? Right. Or the value of my service just got cheaper. Yeah. Right. And it's easy to understand how things like that could happen. For instance, going back in time, 
things get cheaper. Cars came out and buggy whips were not as popular. Electricity came out. Candles were not as popular. So every worry that AI is going to come out and writing is the value. Right? And the answer is, if you actually are a writer and you hone your trade, this is an opportunity to be an artist. Yeah, to use the tools. Yeah, you use it as a tool. Let it do some homework. It'll think about things you might not have thought of. Yeah. Now you're going to apply it and, and do unique, creative things. Right. So we base our entire AI product line, if you will, it does all sorts of things, on the fact that we are not the writer. We're the researcher. Right. That's it. We're the researcher. We give you a draft. We give you the outline. We give you the keywords. We tell you what the synonyms are. We, we help you, but we don't have to be the right. And I think also where people get it wrong is it's very common. Let's say one, one rare case, let's say got success. Then like people promote that rare case so much. Just for example, somebody had cancer did not do the normal course of chemo, surgery, whatever, did something else, got healed. They promote that story so much that a lot of people start following that, don't follow the actual process. But that's not, you know, the core or the majority. The majority is where you actually need to have the best content out there. And like you said, not just the content, you might have the best content out there Nobody is considering you as the expert. You don't have links. Your web vitals are poor, all of that stuff. Like every department, like you said, every department has to make sense. Like that's the majority where every department is making sense. It's just somebody came to me, like it was a new agency partner. They were talking to a client and they came to us and said, we want to do a research, like an SEO audit and a research for them. And we want to make an SEO package for them. These are their seed keywords. These are their top three competitors. And when we went back, we shared some references with them where the competitors we had taken were around like you know, 20, 30 competitors and not just three. And they were like, like, we had given you three. I said, every search term has 10 URLs ranking. And then you take the overall search term, let's say there are 100, 200, whatever. You're not just going to end up Again, you have to look at every like search term as an independent element. And then obviously you look at the entire website. I think that's something which a lot of people are missing. But yeah, thank you for explaining that so well. This will definitely help our viewers. One of the things that we have to recall is that, as I said, in the beginning, it was keywords. If you've used chat at all, you find that with a keyword-based system, I would go to Google, put in a keyword. I'd have to scan some number of sites. And then for my next answer, I would take that information, do another query, gather information. Whereas with chat, I can ask a compound question. I can say, I have these ingredients. How do I prepare each to make a meal? 
a complex, a more complex question. Right. And I can, it is one question, right? It could be five sentences. It could be a question. Some of my scripts are two and a half pages long, believe it or not. So this is pretty advanced stuff. I can ask it as a question and I can actually get a recipe and instructions and step-by-step and ingredients and everything to prepare a dinner. I can't do that with Google. I can't say, Google, I have a can of beans. Yeah, absolutely. And I find that just like in the beginning, how people would search by keyword, I am starting to search by question. I'm searching by intent. That's the shift. That is shift we're seeing with AI. Right. And, and Google has already started to respond to that. They just recently put out some changes so that FAQs don't dominate. Not because they don't want them to dominate, but because they want to dominate. Yeah. The search experience. And by the way, search generative experience sounds like a 1970s rock band, right? It's a strange, but you have to understand where Google is going. That means that our content, site-wide content, we should right now start making it more informative for the questions. Right now, we should think question is the way it works. Questions the way it works. And we should bias our content towards questions. Our blog post should answer questions. We should get all of that working. Right, right. Now, because six months from now, yep. Yeah, that, that's so much, you know, valuable insights, Bruce. Absolutely. I think that's something that we need to hone on. We need to work on because that's what, what's going to rank, let's say, six months down the line. Bruce, obviously, you have had a successful, there's so much more ahead in the journey for you. But let's say, let's say you had to go back, like any mistake, you know, in your career, you think that you would go back and you would change that. Not really. I think that I have had more fun with SEO, but I couldn't have done SEO until there were PCs. And most of us in SEO could not have really ever seen the industry acceptance of SEO until bandwidth went up. If, if we were still running on modems, we, SEO would not be a big topic. Right. It would be right. who get small snatch this website and that's all it took. And saying that we've all heard this hey, you where you are now is because it's where you're supposed to be. I think I was supposed to be here for SEO. And I have really enjoyed it. I have been fortunate. I've done well with it. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be the biggest company in the world. I need to get up in the morning and know. I have helped a lot of companies, either directly or indirectly, and uh, and feel good about it. And I'm there. So I wouldn't change that. And I have to assume everything before that just led to that spot. As we conclude, Bruce, because like we're short on time here, uh, but I would really like to hear from you. How would you like 
Bruce Clay, the individual, the brand, to be remembered in the SEO world, what is next on your horizon? I don't know that I have so much of a next. I'm old enough that I've succeeded multiple times. You have these bucket list things like, oh, I want to write a book. I've done that right behind me here, 700 pages. I've written a book, I've written, I presented, I've keynoted. I have, I actually once I was on my way to India and I only flew West. So I flew all the way around the world. I've done a lot of things that I wanted to do. I haven't gone to every country. I haven't done a lot of things that are, well, that'd be nice. But where I'm at now, I'm pretty happy with what I have done. What do I want to be known for? I want to be known for sharing information and helping, not being, oh my goodness, you, I can't give you the information because you're a competitor. I don't want to be in that business. Right. I want to give away information. I want to help people succeed. And I think that over the years, if you look at even my blog posts now, you can read it. it I'm giving away information. Everything I talked about here, I could keep secret. I don't want to be known as the guy that stabs competitors in the back. As you mentioned at the very beginning, we're a very open industry. We yeah. sorry. We help build in. Uh, it's it's not a it's not yeah. a zero zero sum game. Like we are very lucky to be in a collaborative industry. Absolutely. And I think people that are collaborating, those are the people that are growing, those are the people that are flourishing. Yeah, if you think about conferences, that's what it's about. Yep. Yeah. Well, I've spoken at a ton of conferences. Uh, I'm signing up for three more. Not that they're actually having them. I sponsor, I'm sponsoring two. Bright, Brighton, US, yeah, Br yeah. And, and PubCon. And I'm looking into what's happening next year. I, I promote these things. I, I believe that where I am right now, I'm okay. I have zero debt. I have lots in the bank. I am okay. I don't need to be cutthroat. Right. Too short to operate that way. Bruce, in the end, I like playing a quick rapid fire round of three to four questions just for fun. Good luck. Are you ready? Coffee or tea? Coffee. But in the winter, I'll have tea at night, uh -huh. believe it or not. But every morning it's got to be coffee. Right. If you could teleport to one place in the world right now, where would that be? I live in a very nice environment in Southern California. Mm -hmm. um, and considering the heat waves that are hitting everywhere and the floods and everything else, if it was short term, mm -hmm. I think I would. Yeah, enjoy, short term. Short term. I don't know, Tahiti kind of thing. I've not been. In that area, uh -huh. I think it would be either. Right. One book every entrepreneur should read. Scaling up. Which song, whenever it plays, makes you want to dance? Very few songs make me want to dance. 
Wh- which one would you pick? Oh, I don't know. I really don't know. And it, it would have to be disco. And even though disco is popular right now, I think that those were dance songs. Yeah, absolutely. Bruce, thank you so much for your time. It has been fun having you and thank you for being so candid. Thank you for being so open and sharing all the information. I really enjoyed my time and I'm sure the viewers will enjoy the show as well. Thank you.